So I want to start this morning with a confession. Um, I was having a conversation with my wife this week, and uh, here's how the conversation went. Jenny, I don't know if they're getting it. I don't know if they're getting this whole true self, false self thing. I don't know if they're getting it. It doesn't seem like they're getting it, and I'm just... What do I need to do? What's, what are the barriers and what? I, 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 oh, I'm preaching my heart out. I'm just, Jenny just listened and just nodded. But you guys, you guys kind of know my wife by now via the stories that I tell. So you kind of know what's going to happen. She nodded and she goes, um, Peter, how long have you been in therapy? I said, uh, seven months. Why? What's seven months? Okay. How, how long has it taken you to like, process and work through this stuff? Seven months, why? I don't understand the question. What's the question? Peter, you've been processing and working through this for seven months. You're almost 50, by the way. I'm gonna turn 49 in a couple. You're almost 50 years old. You've been ministry for 30 years. And you're expecting some folks who've been on this journey where they've never even asked a question of like, am I living authentically into my true self? You're expecting them to get it because you preach it? So fast for a couple days, I'm sitting in my therapist's chair and I'm relaying this story. And I say to him, I go, Ross, I'm like, how big does my ego have to be how big does my ego have to be to actually think that if I preach this well enough, that somebody who's lived a certain way for 20, 30, 40, 50 years of their lives would let down their guards and get it and change overnight? How big is my ego? To which Ross goes, pretty big. <laughs> I so want this for you. I so want this for you. I lived my life a certain way for so long. I so want this for you, but I'm coming to realize that, um, and tell me if this resonates with you, that this process of growth, maturity, it's a spiral and not a straight line. There, there's stops and there's goes. There's, there's mountaintops and there's valleys. There's, I've never seen someone come to fully understand who they are in Christ and embrace their truest identity and live a life that's flourishing without having gone through. And here's what I'm realizing, though, church, and you need to listen to this. I'm realizing that nobody comes, nobody, nobody, in my shorter years of living, nobody has come to this place of embracing their truest identity, true self, without going through the desert. I've never seen it. I've never seen someone come to this place of shedding the false lies they've lived all of their lives without going through the desert. The desert is where we are stripped of our false self. 
the desert. And do you go, what is the desert? De- desert is suffering. Desert is pain. Desert is failure. I've never seen anybody, I've never met anybody, I've never met anybody to this day who is fully living into the reality of who they are, their true self, without at some point, you listen to their story, there's some pain there, there's some suffering there, there's some failure there, there's some mistakes there. I've never seen it. If you were here this Wednesday, and by the way, you should have been here for the Wednesday night, Ash Wednesday, so it was powerful for those of us that were here. I'm going to do this every year. I want to encourage you to come. I shared a little bit about how this season of maybe Lent, we focus on this aspect of maybe we're being called to die to our false self. And this prayer, this prayer. And I ask people, if you want, you can take a picture of this, this thing, and then some people made it their screenshot. I, I said, as you journey this, instead of just kind of going passive, I said, what if we journey through this and made this prayer, our prayer every single day? The moment you woke up in the morning, you pray this prayer, and before you went to bed at night, you pray this prayer. And any time during the day when God brought things to mind, you pray this prayer. God, help me to let go one more time from wanting to be in control. I give up one more time to the desire to predict life, to die one more time to the fear. Anybody know about this fear of not knowing where it will lead? And surrender one more time to a love that knows no limits. That, that, that we journey through this season of the desert where we are being challenged and stripped of our false way of living and being, that, that we would surrender to God Hmm? Yeah, we would surrender to God. Look, I want to promise you something. If you are someone that is willing to go on this journey, we as a church family will be there right there with you. Amen? I will be there for you. you we will be right there with you, remind you that it's, not, it's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to stay there. So we will speak truth and love and challenge and walk with you. So if there's anybody here today and you've been coming and you're like, man, I am dealing with this, Peter, but I've got defense mechanisms. I've got all kinds of things. It's just not, first of all, forgive me, your pastor, for wanting to ah, just strip it off for you because I can't. It's God's work. By the way, why do those of us that believe in grace try so hard to save each other? I had to deal with that too. Peter, do you believe in grace? Of course! I've been preaching for 30 years. Then why are you trying so hard to save somebody? And then my work? And then my work? Do you do that? Are you trying to save somebody? Do you believe in grace? The false self on this journey to shed it. I think of it as the inner hustler. Does anybody know about the inner hustler? The inner hustler, this is false, and, and the false self is all about how you want to be seen. It's all about how you, how you want to be seen. Can I ask you a question? How do you want to be seen? Do you want to be seen as more spiritual than you actually are? Anybody struggle with that one? Do you want to be seen as more competent than you actually are? Do you want to be seen as more, I don't know, more, more, uh, 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 there's a list of things 
We want to be seen a certain way that is not who we really are, but we can't stop trying to be seen as being more competent, more spiritual, prettier, more whatever than we actually are. And this starts early in life. This starts early in life because early in life, we are enforced by our families, by our culture, by Satan, by the world to be more than we actually are because we think that's the only way we'll be loved and accepted. Does anybody know anything about this? I grew up in a culture that's the Korean culture here in Chicago where people pretended to be more than they actually were. Let me give you an example. People bought cars, lived in houses that they couldn't afford to project an image that they were better off than they actually are. Anybody else come from that culture? Yeah. I grew up in a culture where parents lied about the accomplishments of their children just so that they could, you know, uh, uh, boast to their, to their families. I grew up in a culture where people lied about where they went to school. If you're a Korean-American like me, my parents grew up in this generation where you went to college was like the end-all and be-all. So people asked, first question, where'd you go to college? That question now, of course, in our culture is, where do you work? What do you do for a living? And everybody else plays games while pretending to be more than we actually are. Listen to me. Listen to me. You walked in here this morning. What do you want to be seen as? What do you, what do you, what, what do you want to be seen as? What are you doing? What am I doing? And as I said, the, the, the danger of the false self is, see, see what? We, we, we adopt, what we adopt, these masks we adopt, initially reflect how we want others to see us, but then eventually, eventually this will happen to you. It begins to be what you see of yourself. We become the lies we choose to believe. We confuse this role with identity. And we become even deeper in bondage to this way of being because people affirm the false me. And I go, ooh, that feels good. And I go deeper and deeper and deeper into this bondage. The saddest thing for me is seeing someone in their 50s and 60s and 70s who's lived this way all their lives and they don't know any better. That's why I so want this for you in your 20s and 30s, man. Do not live the rest of your life pretending to be someone you're not. Don't. Talk to me here. How do you pretend to be more than you are? By the way, if you're new to our church, you're going, do they really do that during the service? Yeah, we do. Anybody? What's that? Boast. Boast? Okay. Anybody else? High vulnerabilities. Anybody else? And now it's high. Yeah. Yeah. you should have seen the list on here on last Sunday and the way that we mask ourselves, the way we bandage ourselves, more competent, high achieving, that I'm smarter than I actually are, that I'm prettier than I actually am, that I'm... By the way, the word perfectionism is littered on the cross. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit today. Is that okay? Look, I've been saying this. Don't pretend to be somebody else. Everybody else is already taken. And this should resonate with some of us that live in this culture. You are truly unique. And I'm not just saying that in some pop psychology. You are truly, there's no one on earth like you. Why are you trying to be someone else? Why do you try, why do I try to be somebody else? Rabbi Zusa was asked, 
The question is, in the coming age, they will not ask me why I wasn't Moses. They're going to ask me why I wasn't Rabbi Susa. Are you living the life that God has for you? Not someone else's life. The life that God has for you. Who are you trying to answer to? Culture, family, peers, society, world, Satan. God needs you to be you. There are kingdom assignments for you that no one else can do. Do you get that? There. Oh, man. Let me anchor us in, in these verses. I hope you memorize because these are verses that have anchored us in this series. Ephesians 4.22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put that old self off, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and the false self. You should memorize this by now. It's what? Agitated. It's grasping. It's foolish. And it's deeply afraid. And Paul says, Colossians 3.3, 3, For you died, though, to that life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Say, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and the new life has begun. I want to tell you something. That old self was dealt a mortal blow the moment that you received Christ as Lord and Savior. That false self and way of being was dealt a mortal blow. And the remnants of that that constantly tempt us, but the reality is the Holy Spirit lives inside of us to do this thing called the Christian life. And we remember that we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. Can I get an amen? That this isn't some pie-in-the-sky dream to go, can I really live like that? It is reality that God says you could embrace. That's why Paul could say something like this in Ephesians 4.22. So put off the old, put on the new self. Create to be like God in righteousness and holiness. Put it on. You have a choice. You have a choice. You could choose to live false self or you could choose to live into your true self. The hard work has already been done. Choose to see it, embrace it, and become who God says you already are. And who you are and who I am. It's calm, it's content, it's wise, it's unafraid. This is who we are. The challenge, though, is it's more difficult to accept the gift of being yourself than being somebody else, isn't it? It is. It is. If you try, it really is to accept the gift of our true self. Embrace the false self. If anybody here is saying, I hear this voice in my head, Peter, throughout the series that goes something like this, hey man, that's true for other people, it's not true for you. Because it's not your experience, is it? One of the challenges of the Christian life is we could either submit scripture to our experience and say, Bible can't be true because my experience says otherwise. Or we could submit our experiences to Scripture and saying, how do I make sense of this? How do I make sense of the fact that the Scripture says this thing, but my life says otherwise? How do I submit instead of going, I'm going to submit Scripture? And you've heard me say this. And when you realize The challenge is to say, God, how do I make sense of the fact that I am hidden with Christ and God and there's true self 
waiting to emerge, but the false self and layers and layers and layers of false self that shout at me every single day. How do I make sense of that? Hmm. I was talking to Lynn Oliver, and Lynn says, are you going to eventually move on to the true self? Because <laughs> he says, it's kind of depressing talking about the false self. To which I said, don't I talk about the true self, though, a little bit at the end? And I said to him, I said, Lynn, we are under so much denial about the false self that it's going to, because we've spent our lifetime constructing it and nourishing it. Do you realize that? So I said, give me one more Sunday to deconstruct some of this stuff. Is that okay with you guys? Is that okay? Are you ready to move on to the true self? Everybody said, oh. How do we confront the false self? The Bible says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. But I've realized that before the truth sets you free, it tends to make you miserable first. Come on, somebody, somebody, come on. So, one more Sunday. Why do we construct this false self? How do we get there? And what do we do about it? And then I have the gospel at the end that will prompt us on this journey of talking about our true self. The journey begins, of course, in Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. And we spent a brief time on this last week. I'm going to sit for a bit on here. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Genesis 2, we see man and woman living life as God intended under God's rule and reign. Rightly related to God. And listen, because they're rightly related to God, they're rightly related to themselves. They know who they are and then they're rightly related to others. Get the order straight. Get rightly related to God so that you could know who you are, so that you could know how to do community with others. They know who God is. As a result, they're comfortable with who they are, and they're comfortable with each other. Can you imagine being in this setting? No fronting, no wearing a mask, total vulnerability, total trust. I'll tell you what that's like. You ever have the experience of sharing with someone things that you're deeply ashamed of, you're deeply afraid of, and you've been working up to share this and you're scared and you're scared and you're scared and you share with this individual those things to have that person look at you and say, you know what? I love you and I respect you even more now. What? And I love you, and I respect you even more now. That does something to you. That does something to me. Do you know what it does? It touches at our deepest core something that God put there. Do you know what that is? It's to be fully known and to be fully loved without any fear of rejection. The reason why when someone says, I love you and respect you even more now, is because when you and I were created by our designer, he put in our DNA to be fully known and to be fully loved without any fear. But here's the question. How can you be fully known when you're wearing masks?
how can you be fully known when you have bandages wrapped around you? How can you be fully known when you walk around all day every day pretending to be someone just so that you could appear The only way to be fully loved is to be fully known, which means we need to be able to come just as I am and risk being loved just as I am. If there's one place where people shouldn't have to wear masks, it's in the church. Can I get an amen? <laughs> How many of you grew up in churches, though, where you had to wear masks to feel safe? Raise your hand really high. Just about everybody. Why is it that we, we have a problem in the church? And the problem is we pretend that we don't have problems. I see a therapist every week. Can you imagine me walking into my therapist's office and saying to Ross, Ross, I don't want to talk about problems I have now. I want to talk about problems I used to have. Please don't ask me to talk to you about the problems I currently have because if I talk to you about the problems I currently have, I'm afraid you might reject me. I'm afraid you might not accept me. Why would anybody go see a counselor and to pretend they don't have problems? Why do sinners come to churches and pretend we don't have problems? The jig's up. If you're in here, by the way, we know you have problems. Can I get an amen? amen? Do you know how often I talk to somebody and they're weeping and they share some of the most difficult, painful addictions and secrets? And at some point, I will ask them this question. Have you told anybody about this? And nine out of ten times, these are church people who say, no. Church people. If I want to be loved for the real me, I have to work on getting what? Real. If I want to be fully loved, I have to be what? Fully known. And there's no way for you and I to be fully known if we are wearing masks and bandages that cover up who we are. We sang this song on Wednesday, just as I am without. If there is a just as I am church, I'm telling you, we wouldn't be able to keep those doors open wide enough for the whole city to flood in here. Because there are people walking around going, can someone love the real me? Can someone love the real me? Can someone love the real me? I don't care if you're a Christian or non-Christian. It's in your DNA. That's why when I meet people, and I have a small number of people who love me just as I am, I cling on to them like a drowning man clings on to a life raft. Do you have people like that in your life? Do you have people like that in your life that you can let down the guards' masks, 
to look at you and they respond by saying, I love you and I respect you even more now. Do you have a list like that? And be really clear, the people on that list are not people who love you despite your weaknesses, vulnerable sins. There are people who love you because of them. Do you have a list of people like that? People in your 20s, 30s, get real clear right now about whose opinions matter. Real clear. And the people on that list are people not who love you despite your faults, but because of them. Can I get an amen? I go home every Sunday, I'm exhausted. Do you know why? Because I'm battling right now, every time I preach on, Peter, are you wearing a mask? Are you performing? Are you pretending? Are you trying to come across as more competent, more spiritual than you actually are? Or are you being true to who you are? My kids are sitting here. Can you imagine? If this goes deep, y'all. Okay, my kids listen to me preach every Sunday. This goes deep, y'all. Like, am I being true and real to who I am? Listen to what happens. You guys know this story. Genesis 3. And the eyes of both of them, of course, were open, and they realized they're naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. As soon as they took control of their lives, they decided to come out from the ruling reign of God. It says they become aware of their nakedness. By the way, do you think it was literally like they're walking around going, I don't know, I'm naked. Oh, oh my gosh, I'm naked. Of course they know they're naked physically, but it's not a physical. What is it? They begin feeling things they never felt before, like insecurity. Like fear. Can I say something about fear? One of the primary characteristics of false self is it's deeply afraid. It's deeply afraid. Here's the thing. Some of us are very aware of our fears. And some of us are so competent at avoiding the things that cause fear that we don't think we're afraid. I'm going to say that again. Cece, I need you to go. You need to say that again. Some of us are very aware of our fears. We, we know what our fears are. Some of us are so competent, put that in quotes, at avoiding the things that cause fear, we don't think we're afraid. That's why when I said fear, some of you are like, I'm not afraid. Some of you are so afraid of failure, but you try so hard to succeed that you don't realize you're afraid. Think of what fear does in terms of the mistakes we make, fear of not having enough, fear of how we want to be perceived, fear of what people think, fear of missing out, oh, 20, 30, fear of missing out. Think of the stupid decisions we make because of fear of missing out. Fear, fear. Think of what fear is doing to our society. Think of what fear is doing to our country. Fear is one of the primary characteristics of the false self. Then there's shame. They felt no shame, Genesis 3. They feel shame. What is shame? Shame is that intense, painful feeling and experience of I'm not worthy enough and I'm not worthy of belonging. Shame and perfectionism go hand in hand. Whenever perfectionism is driving us, shame is riding shotgun. For some of us that are perfectionistic, there's like 20 posters that say, I struggle with perfectionism. At the core of it is shame. The reason why you're driven to perfectionism, because at the core you go, I'm not worthy of love and belonging. 
So I will perfect, I will perform, I will achieve, and I will not rest until I do it perfectly. When it, what? You're not going to rest until you do it perfectly? Come again. And when exactly will that be you do it perfectly? So what do we do? Here's Pedro. Here's Pedro. So what do we do? The man and woman what? Took fig leaves. And the Bible says they made what? Coverings for themselves. You and I have been doing this. Here's why. Listen to it very carefully. Because the moment that man and woman sinned, from that moment, we believe either I could be known or I could be loved, but not both. Let me say that again. From that point on in Genesis 3, we believe this lie that says, either I could be known and be rejected, or I could pretend and be loved, but I can never be fully known and loved. Ever since. That's you. That's me right now, this morning. I could either be known, but they're going to reject me. Or I could pretend and I could be loved. But not both. So they sewed fig leaves and they made coverings for themselves. And this fig leaves, and I'm gonna talk about it right now, come in the form of perfectionism. They come in the form of work, career, success, achievement. They come in the form of being a mom, being a dad, being a professor, being a pastor. They come in the form of I am beautiful and people find me beautiful. They come in the form of I'm an incredible artist. Look at the stuff that I do. They come in the form of I am a great. And we cover ourselves because we're afraid that we can never be fully known and fully loved. So I'm gonna have to choose. And we've been covering ourselves ever since. Because we're just not sure that people will love me for who I am. You put on makeup every, every morning you get up. I come in the form of bandage. Every morning we get up. And every morning, God comes wandering in the garden. And he says, where are you? Why are you hiding? Where are you? Peter, where are you? I can't see you behind the book. Come on, where are you? Why are you hiding? Because I'm afraid, God. What? I'll either be fully known and be rejected or fully loved, but I've got to pretend. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? When are you going to take that off? When am I going to take that off? Real quick, because of what you guys wrote, I've been meditating on, here are the various bandages. By the way, what do you think are the bandages that we wear? To make ourselves feel okay. To make ourselves like we have worth and love. What? Success. Success? What else? That's a lot on there. What else? Huh? Competence. Yeah, what else? Material things. What else? So. Oh. Oh. 
oh, service, oh, ministry, oh, activism, oh, oh. I'm going to go down the various bandages. Is it okay? And spend just minutes on them. First is perfectionism. The bandage of perfectionism. Do you know, <laughs> do you know that I actually have spent years preaching for the perfect sermon? Now, you sit there going, how do you know what a perfect sermon is? Isn't this subjective? Yeah. Well, then how? What is perfectionism? Perfectionism, by the way, self-admitted, recovering perfectionist and an aspiring good enoughist. Anybody else? Anybody else? Recovering perfectionist. Clap if that's you and an aspiring good enoughist. That's who I am. Perfectionism is not a way to avoid shame. It's a function of shame. Perfectionism is different from striving to do your best, striving to have healthy achievement and growth. What's the difference, Peter? Healthy striving is self-focus. Healthy striving is how could I improve? Perfectionism is others-focused, which is what will they think? What will they think? Don't get it twisted. You're not a high achiever, you're a perfectionist. Because you can care less about what you, it's about what other people think. It's this belief that says if I live perfect, I look perfect, I act perfect, I could avoid the pain of shame, judgment. And and it's at the core, trying to earn approval, earn acceptance. It often leads to I am what I accomplish and how well I accomplish it. For those of us that grew up in immigrant families, (laughs) Lord, It goes deep because we're told by our parents, achieve, succeed, go to the right schools, get the right grades. And it just creates this culture of just perfectionism. Perfectionism is self-destructive because there's no such thing as perfect. Perfection is an unattainable goal. Perception is, perfection is also all about perception. We want to be perceived as perfect. But again, how do you control perception? Perfection is addictive because when we do experience shame and judgment and blame, we don't go, well, their logic is faulty. There's no such thing. We go, what did I do wrong and how could I do it better? And your vicious cycle loop of I got to earn, I got to approve, I got to. Second is work, mask of work. How many of us hustle for our worth? How how many of us value, uh, measure our value and worth in terms of productivity? Do you take on projects and positions just to prove that you can do it? How many of us are driven by definition of success? That that doesn't even, that doesn't even define who we are, what we want to do. How many of us, oh, church, new community. Some of you succeeded really early on and you have allowed that success to define your total worth. You don't even know who you are apart from your achievements. Do you know, I know who I pastor. Our church is full of masters and PhDs and people who are high-achieving careers. And you accomplish this in your 20s. And like I said, nothing worse could have happened because the entire sum total of your identity is what I do, what I achieve. But what good is it for a man or woman if they gain the whole world but forfeit their soul in the process? 
Work, 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 work. Engineer, high achiever, work, work. Teacher, work. Next, wealth. Some of us, wealth is about status. Some of us, wealth is about I get to drive, I get to eat, I get to hang out, and that's how I feel okay about myself. For some of us, the problem is not that we're cheap. problem is we're scared. What do I mean? Wealth is a way we feel secure in an uncontrollable world. We go, if I just save enough, if I just save enough, if I just save enough, I could control the world. You can't. You can't control what happens tomorrow, let alone 10 years from now. For some of us, it's romance. I have to be really, really careful here. But how many of you, be honest, don't feel okay unless someone finds you attractive? It's real quiet in here. How many of us don't feel okay until someone finds us attractive? So we do everything possible to be wanted, to be needed. And do you realize why you're making these horrible decisions about who you date? Next is marriage. Do you know what marriage is? Can I tell you? It takes your worst character flaws and it magnifies it by a thousand times. Can I get an amen, married couples? Let me say it one more time. You didn't hear me. Marriage does this to you. It takes your worst character flaw and it magnifies it a thousand times. Meaning, if you're selfish to begin with, marriage will make you a thousand times more selfish. You just see it better. I don't think so, Kimmy. Listen, please. This is very serious. I move on. If you're in a marriage where one person is living into their true self and the other is living into their false self, that's not going to work. You're looking to that to save you? Parenting. How many of us find our identity in how our kids turn out? How many of us are living vicariously? You know what? For those, some of us grew up going, I am jacked up because my parents live their lives vicariously through me. And we become parents, and what do we do? The same thing! What is that? Parents! If your kid's success defines your success, you're headed for disaster. If your kid's well-being defines your well-being, you're headed for, their dis- you're headed for disaster. We are not called to prepare a perfect path for our children. We're called to prepare our children for anything that lies ahead. Next. Activism. If you do activism and justice work out of a false self, you're going to be self-righteous. If you are doing activism ministry out of a false self, you are going to be self-righteous and you're going to do more harm than good. Stop it. Do 
not try to love yourself by loving other people. Reconciliation work for some of us is a diversion to us not wanting to do the hard work of reconciling with ourselves. I wish I could grab every single 20-something, it's not just 20-something, 30-something, and say to them, if you go down this path of doing justice work out of a false self, this is why you can't say no. This is why you can't disappoint people. This is why you're headed for disaster. I want to be able to shake them and say, please, 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 follow the way of your Savior, Jesus. Who knew who he was? Father, Son, and everything he did out of that. <sighs> Two more. Morality. There are some people in our church who are in youth group, college, and morality and being a good person, good Christian was a thing. And you said to yourself, oh, I would never do that. Oh, I would never do that. Oh, I would never do that. And then you went to college and you did that. And you literally walked away from the church because of shame for years. Do you know why? Because you built their entire identity on what? I'm good. <sighs> and there's one more. And the... Last mask is the mask of false ethnic identity. Oh, man. I preached on this two weeks ago, so I'm not going to belabor the point. For some of us, feeling of shame and I'm not okay is a result of the fact that we have not embraced our ethnic identity. Whether it be some of us that grew up in Asian cultures that wanted to assimilate to the white dominant culture because we're ashamed of who we are. Or some of us, as I mentioned, who embrace this false ethnic identity and want to be someone that we're not. The reality is, at the core of it, is an inability to receive this gift that I am fearfully, wonderfully made. And God did not make an accident when he created me just as I am. And some of us, though, have been walking around our entire lives around this false bandage of I am this Do you realize that the masks and the masks that we wear is the source of our anxiety, our fear, our insecurity? Do you realize that it's when anything happens in this area of whatever the mask is that you're resentful, you're envious, you're jealous, and you're angry? Do you realize that whatever the mask is doesn't come through for you? That's when you go off the rails and you say, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. Do you realize that your masks and my mask is the source of everything that ails us? So how do we? Lynn, Oliver? I'm done talking about the false self now. Are you happy? Okay. All right. All right. Although, Cece, I could probably talk about the false self for... But it's at this point, I got to go, Lord, you got to do the work. You got to do the work. I can't, I can't do the work. How do we begin to unwrap? How do we begin to unwrap? I'm going to actually leave it here today. How do we begin to unwrap the bandages that we wear? Church, can I have your attention for like five more minutes? Because this is personal to me now and I'm about to be vulnerable. 
So in my seven month of journey, here's how I came to begin the process, because my wife reminds me, you ain't done yet, man. I go, I know I'm not done yet. She's like, stop pretending, I'm not, I'm not pretending to be done yet. Here's how I began the process of beginning to unwrap the mask. You ready? And this is gonna shock some of y'all. I had to learn to accept myself with the bandages and all. Let me say that again. Some of y'all sitting there going, are we in an episode of Oprah? What the heck is happening here? What, what, what did you just say? We're in church. I had to, listen please, and my kids are here and they know about this. I had to learn, oh, I'm gonna get emotional. I had to learn to accept myself with the bandages and all. Because what I came to realize is unless you are willing to embrace the reality of who you are, you'll never begin to change. Unless you accept the things that you want to change about yourself as part of who you are, bandits and all, you will never begin the process of changing who you are. Reality must be embraced before it can be changed. And those who are sitting there going, well, accepting yourself, it sounds like you're just giving up. It just sounds like you no, no, no. Accepting yourself has nothing to do with not wanting to grow, not wanting to change. But it's just reality that until you learn to accept yourself as you are, you will never have, listen, the courage to be real and honest about who you really are. The metaphor for me was, here's Peter at the table, and there are these other ignored Peters. There's the angry Peter. There's a Peter feeling shame. There's a Peter that's constantly wanting to prove himself. There's a Peter that cares a lot about his appearance. There are all these Peters. And for most of my life, I just ignore these other Peters at the dinner table. I'm like, no, but the other Peters aren't here. I'm just going to. And here's what happens. The ignored parts of you, they don't go away because you ignore them. They go into hiding. And they get even stronger because they go into hiding. So I had to come to a place going, hey, welcome to dinner, angry Peter. Hey, welcome to dinner, shame Peter. Hey, welcome to dinner, perfectionist Peter. We're all here at the table. Yeah, we're all here at the table. And you go, how does this have anything to do with the gospel? Let me show you the beauty of the gospel. This is why I love Jesus. This is why I love the gospel. This is why I do what I do. Do you know what the gospel is? Do you know what the gospel is? Ephesians chapter 2. Ah! I'm about to jump out of my skin. My false self skin. Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, check this out, verse 5, made us alive with Christ. Hello, somebody. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. What is the gospel? The gospel is, although we are more wicked and more sinful than we dare believe, in Christ we are more accepted and more loved than we dared hope at the same time. Who are you? Deeply flawed. Who are you? But deeply accepted and deeply loved. Is this good news to anybody? 
Who are, oh man, who am I? I am deeply flawed. I am deeply messed up. I've got all those things about me I don't like. But who are you? In Christ, I am accepted. I am loved. And if God accepts me as a sinner, how could I do any less? Oh, man. I'm just going to high five and amen to myself. I'm just going to high five. See, see, this is life change. The gospel is what? Gospel isn't make yourself presentable, sinner. Make yourself presentable and then accept you. The gospel is come as you are, messy, broken, addicted, ignoring, pretending. I will accept you. Then we're going to get to changing you. Come on, somebody. Oh, the essence of the gospel is the heavenly Father in Christ accepts you, flaws and all. And he's just asking us to do the same thing. So Henry now, one of my favorite authors, says this. Self-rejection is the greatest lures of temptation. Beneath all the lures of greed, lust, and success rests a fear of never being enough or not being lovable. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy because it contradicts a sacred voice that calls us beloved. Say that with me, beloved. Say that with me, beloved. Being the beloved expresses the core truth of our existence. Is this good news? Come on, is this good news? You're sitting there and the reason why you can't change and the reason why transformation is slow to coming is because you don't understand the gospel. I don't understand the gospel. The gospel is you're accepted. But I gotta change. We'll get to that. You're accepted. But all these parts of me that I don't, you're accepted. We'll get to that. CC, come on up. Here's what happens when because of the gospel. Susie, is this making any sense? Here's what happens when, 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 when we accept ourselves as God accepts us through the gospel. First of all, you will finally have the courage. You will finally have the courage. I will finally have the courage to not be in denial, to not pretend. You will finally have the courage to go, okay. And by the way, other people already know. They're just waiting for you and me to get around to it. Without the gospel, you will never have the courage to look squarely at your deepest wounds. But not only will the gospel allow you to accept yourself, to see gospel also you to what? Now make yourself known to others as you are. And you could finally, maybe for the first time, experience what it's like to be fully loved. And third, for me, you will finally learn what it means to actually experience God's love. Not just know, experience it. What do I mean? God's love could only be experienced when we come to him as we are. 
Not as we hope to be, not as we want to be, but as we are. The essence of the gospel is come as you are. Not in your false, I hope I want, as you are. In your weakness, in your addictions, in your sins, come as you are. In vulnerability. Then when the gospel encounters you in your vulnerability, you finally experience for the first time, you're sitting there going, How do I know? How do I know God will accept me? How do I know God will receive me, Peter, as I am? I want to end with this. Do you know how the Genesis story ends? Do you remember? Genesis 3.21. They're hiding. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve. And he how you know and I know we could come to God as we are and be received and accepted it's because he paid the ultimate price to clothe you can I get an amen every scholar points to the fact that the skin that covered Adam and Eve pointed to the sacrifice the ultimate sacrifice they're aiming to on Good Friday when the Lamb of God would be sacrificed And Genesis 3 is pointing to that day when you and I could take off our bandages because God says, I've clothed you. I've clothed you. You don't have to be perfectionistic because you're already perfect in me. You don't have to be ashamed because you're fully loved, fully accepted. Isaiah picks up on this theme and he says, Isaiah 61, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has what? Say this with me. He has clothed me. Say it one more time. He has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in robe of his righteousness. And Apostle Paul, one more verse. At the very end, Romans chapter 4, verse 7 says this. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are, say with me, covered. I love you, church. It's about time. (sighs) We took off these bandages. And here's the thing I would say, as Jenny reminded me, it's like Peter Hall, you just wear one big, big, fat bandage called pastor. (laughs) That's all. (laughs) It's a strong one too. She's right. It's like the overwhelming thing in my life. But she said for most of us, it's multiple. It's mom, it's dad, it's success, it's work. It's activism. And my challenge during this sermon series has been what? What is one layer, just one layer of bandage that you could take off? What is one layer, just one layer that you could take off? You don't have to do the whole thing. What is one layer? What is one layer that you could do tomorrow morning? When you get up and say, this week I'm going to commit to doing this one thing. I'm going to stop pretending to be X. I'm going to stop. What would that one layer be? Just take this off. What would that be? What would that be? And remember, he took this and hung it. He died for our perfectionism. He died for our shame. He died for, I am only this when I, he died for that. Pray with me. Come on.
Father, remind me. Father, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, this is your son. This is your son. Heavenly Father, this is your son. Remind me right now that it's, my work is done. Father, remind me my work is done. I can't control anything that happens from this point on. It's your work, not my work. Which means, Father, I could rest, I could rest. I could walk away from today and I could rest in knowing that whatever work you needed to do, you did. And that you spoke to each person right where they needed to be spoken to. That my work is done. Help me to rest in that. Help me to rest in the fact that I'm clothed. Help me to rest in the fact that I'm clothed.